0: Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to this week's episode of the Brass and Unity podcast. It's sponsored by Jackson Rowe, Vancouver design. Jackson Rowe clothing caters to relaxed bohemian lifestyle. Large doses of love go into every single piece, featuring comfortable favorites like sweaters, dresses play suits and even stuff for men and children made up of neutral tones and flowy west coast vibes jackson row ensures the highest quality of materials ensuring that you stay comfortable and looking great so go ahead and check them out at jacksonrow.ca and use the code unity to support the podcast I'm brought to you by Heads Up Guys. Heads Up Guys is a resource providing men with information and practical tips on how to manage and prevent depression. This is a dedicated online tool devoted to helping men get the help that they need, find someone to talk to, and navigate difficult times. For more information, head over to headsupguys.org. I'm brought to you by Beneath. Men, you can't just perform at your best if you're constantly adjusting. I said it, adjusting, shifting, and sweating. If you want your Beneath area clean, dry, and ready for action, then you need Beneath underwear. Beneath, we're the first to create men's underwear with a three-dimensional pouch for supportive fit. This stuff is engineered for full days of comfort on the mountain, in the gym, or in the office. Head over to Beneath.com, that's B-N-3-T-H.com, and enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast and grab yourself, your man, the best underwear on the planet. And brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military inspired quality footwear for men and women. Enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries. Head over to CombatFlipFlops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. Hello everybody. I got the chance to sit down with Jeannie from the Vancouver Police Department. Uh, She was a retired up as an inspector but Jeannie is no joke she is a what she likes to call five foot one but I'm pretty sure she's five foot a five foot one powerhouse who was one of the first female and first Asian females to ever be hired onto the police force in the 80s and it is nothing but an honor to have her on so please everyone welcome Jeannie Jeannie I need, I got some questions about got some questions about your life. Uh, I think the reason I really wanted to have you on was because you I so much so see so much of myself in you and I hope you see that as nothing but a compliment because you're we're the same height, <clears throat> which is like I'm taller. Okay. You're five one. <laughs> Let's tell yourself that. Um I, I'm five foot on a good day and four if I, you know, four eleven if I don't <laughs> roll my back out first. Um but you broke a barrier for women. Um, I'm not. I'm not a big like. I'm, I'm not the one that's gonna scream from the rooftops like women empowerment. Like I just believe right person for the right job. If you can do the job, then you should be allowed to do the job. And I think women more and more nowadays are being put or are being asked of to be put in positions where they would never have been given the opportunity before because women were not. The, they just couldn't. They they were home care people. And you, correct me if I'm wrong, broke that barrier in the biggest way possible on like multiple playing fields. And I want you to talk about that because I think that story um, shows such character but also shows such um, strength. And I think we need to hear more of those stories right now, especially, I mean, um, with with how everyone's feeling, I think I need a I need a I need a powerful I need another powerful woman in my life to tell me what she's been through. So can you please
1: tell me how you broke that amazing barrier and what it was? Well, I didn't set out to break any barriers at all. Okay. What it but was? You still did though. Okay. Uh, yes, okay. but unintentionally. Fair enough. So what I did was that uh, somewhere in my life, in my twenties, I was um, I decided to apply the, for the police department. Okay. And uh, I wanted to apply for the Vancouver Police Department because this is where I was born and raised. Mm -hmm. And um, so I put in my application. Mm -hmm. And uh, clearly the application at that time, this was in the uh, early 1980s, there was a height requirement. And it said women, I think, had to be, I want to say 5'4 or 5'5. I can't remember what it was. (laughs) And men had to be 5'8 or something like that. And clearly when I walked in, I was not, they're you know, not the height. Not the height they they wanted, but I was told that you know what, um, you have other qualities that we will we could overlook the height if you can pass all all of our exams. So at the time I had um, I had graduated from university, so I had a, I had a degree from UBC. I also had um, a lot of work and life experience, mm-hmm. and I also had martial arts experience as well that helped, and I was quite active. Because uh, I played a lot of basketball, volleyball, and softball, and, um, so the and, tall sports, yeah, the the big sports, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, I I go and I said, sweet. So I started uh, I started going through the application process, like the written exam, and then uh, and then I went through all their um, the physical exam where I was told later on they were positive that I was going to fail because one of them was um, uh, chin ups and the other one was uh, climbing over some six foot wall or something like that and (laughs) anyways feels ideal yeah I I passed and then I went through what they call an assessment center and then I passed that as well and I remembered that it was um, probably in about uh, December of um, 1981 and I because I remember thinking they called me they called me in and I remember thinking oh this is going to be the greatest Christmas present I've ever had because they are calling me to to yeah, to let me know. Let me know I'm going to be in, right? Yeah. Because I knew at that point I had passed everything because the recruiter had told me, yeah, you're going from point to point, and yeah, you pass this, you pass this. And
0: their face should have been an obvious marker of, <sighs> oh, my God, she's doing what?
1: Well, but Should've I didn't been. I didn't know at the time. Oh, okay. Right? So what happened was that I, I remember going into the uh, Vancouver Police Department up on Main Street, and my recruiter was there, and he was there with another recruiter. They welcomed me into the office to meet the sergeant, mm-hmm. and uh, then I was told that, uh, unfortunately, you did well, but there's a height requirement that we can't overlook. Oh, my God, that <laughs> Our, is such a kick in the face. I remember just being so shocked because, c- clearly, I did not lie in my application. I, I put down that I was one. Or maybe I was 5'2 at the time. I don't know. But I, I didn't meet the requirement. Mm-hmm. And um, they had seen me many times during the process. And they knew that I wasn't at that height. And so I was just shocked. And I, that's exactly what I said to them was that, but you've seen me. And you <clears throat> knew I was You wasn't. know what
0: I'm physically like.
1: Yeah. And they just said, I'm sorry. We, you know, we've made a mistake. And um, sorry, we can't overlook that. And that was it. I was, I was shattered.
0: Well, how can how can you not be shattered by that? That's uh they they gave you a, they gave you a goal, you surpassed it, and then they took it away for the fact that you were <clears throat> a couple inches too short.
1: Yep. And I worked hard to get to get there. At the time they had a they had a swimming requirement.
0: Okay. And oh, yes. I
1: don't swim. I oh. did not swim, but it was a requirement that I had to do. So, I forced myself during my lunch hour from where I was working to go and teach myself how to swim and the lifeguards were really good because they they knew what I was doing and they would kind of offer hints and tell me what I needed to do
0: so you weren't out you weren't just going out to the ocean then fortunately you were going to a pool
1: I was going to the pool because the exam was going to happen in the pool as well right yeah but I still was a horrible swimmer and I I didn't know a lot of things and I at one point there was um uh I guess it was a front crawl or something. It was one mm-hmm. of the strokes that we had to do, and I, I learned how to hold my breath doing the whole 50 meters. <laughs>
0: Look at you. You're like, I'm a fish now all of a sudden. <laughs> so you literally go, <clears throat> you surpass all of these records, you beat every test, they say no. What's next?
1: Well, I went back to to the place that I was working, and I worked there for, for about six years, and um, I was... Uh, kind of into the business end of it that I was really looking into because there wasn't anything else that really kind of interested me. I had graduated from recreation education so okay. I was qualified to um, work in a recreation center was as kind of a coordinator.
0: <clears throat> was that intentionally what you were going to do? Yes. Initially when you went to schooling and, and did all of the degrees?
1: Yes that was okay. my that was my intention okay. and uh, but what happened is that I had graduated from school and then I started working in uh, Parks and Rec Okay. And uh, then there was a, a strike, that oh, happened. Yes, and I didn't know how long that strike was gonna last, and so I got a part time job with this retail firm. And then the next thing I knew, you know, they were offering me full time. They were offering me different things, and so it was like, hey, this is this is good, because my secondary education was in business. Okay. So. Because um, you thought
0: one was, not enough yeah so we went for two do you want to you, you yeah, no you got plan, i don't right? there, you can plan but jesus that's another level like i i always every time i talk to someone i say like you who's highly educated in ways that i'm just not and the the value that you have on on the education that you've been in you're like like i, I was recently speaking with someone who was like i'm a pediatrician that's not good enough i'm gonna go solve every receptor problem in the brain because that's just not good enough like that blows my mind. There's people like you out there, that are like, secondary, just in case this first one doesn't work out.
1: Well, I think it's also interest, right? It's okay. Something that kind of interests me as well.
0: So it wasn't like a forced into schooling thing from parents no. or anything. And this was something of a general interest.
1: Yes. That makes more sense, it was, though. Yeah. When it's like that. Yeah. So I spent um, I spent six years there, and then uh, I I was hoping to get in the management, and I actually went into their management program that they had um, in house. And I'd finished it and I'd watched everyone else get into all these management positions, but not me. Again. Again, and uh, one of the, re- okay, so what happened was that I had my um, year-end assessment mm-hmm. performance review. And uh, this is at the end of six years, so it's like not 1986, early 1987. And so I had my review, I had, a really good review. I got my bonus and everything. At the end, they said, um, you know, do you have any questions? And usually, I mean, why would you ask any questions when you got a good review and you and got you a bonus, And you got bonus. Right? bonus yeah. So if there
0: isn't a question, you leave and you shut your mouth. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But this time I asked the question and I said, yeah, I'm just kind of curious. I, you know, I got the good review. I got the bonus. And, um, I'm in the, I finished a management program, but why am I not getting a management job? Because mm-hmm. everyone else is, and there's people that Aren't in the management. The Ooh. management program are also getting a management job.
0: And do they ha- do they have the education for it?
1: Well, we and had to like, go, we had to all go through the in-house management. Okay. program. Okay, right? so at least
0: everybody had that even playing field. Yes. so that was a start. Okay,
1: but um, people that weren't in the management program were also getting management jobs. After oh, me, okay. after I had finished. Oh, okay. So, so I when that. I asked this question, they I remember the uh, two... People there just kind of looked at each other, almost like, you know, if you can interpret it, should we say anything or should yeah. we not? And then they said, well, you know, um, this is a male-oriented field that we're in, and we don't think our customers would want to speak to a female manager. Oh, okay. And Yeah, so I just went, okay, that's it. I returned to my station and sat there, and I thought, this place is not going to be for me. What else could I do? There was only two things left for me to do. One is um, I can go back into recreation education mm-hmm. or I can pursue policing. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know what? I never knew what policing is like. I always wanted it. I'm going to go and I'm going to try it again.
0: What made you want policing so badly?
1: Honestly, I don't know. What attracted me at the very beginning was, um, when, I was when I first applied, it was actually an um, ad in the paper. And it oh, said, okay. and I remembered the ad saying, like, you know, do you do something different every day? Every mm-hmm. day is not the same. Something like that.
0: Like a military, like, you, if you love camping,
1: yes, you'll love being infantry. <laughs> so, so, anyways. They get you every time. They got me too, Jeannie. Yeah, they got me that's too. That's exactly what. It wasn't like I wanted to save the world or, or yeah, anything like to that. Yeah, you wanted to do that. It was just like, oh, this sounds really interesting. Okay. And so, I applied. You applied. And, and I was rejected because of my height. Okay. So now, um, six years later, here I am at this crossroads and going, well, what am I going to do? And Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, I'm going to go and apply. So the interesting story with this part um, is that I made up my mind to apply, so I go back to the Vancouver Police Department. I go back to the recruiting. You
0: were very set on them, eh? You were very set on the Vancouver. Why not the RCMP?
1: I kind of wanted to stay in Vancouver, and at the time the RCMP you had – I believe they made you learn French. You okay. have to go back east and learn French. And
0: how many languages do you speak already?
1: I speak a very poor form of Cantonese. Okay. And uh, and English, and that's it.
0: Yeah, so, but that... But for, for people that don't... Um, people that are listening, I always like to put some context to it because um, I know for a fact I've got some very American people listening to this right now <laughs> who are wondering, like, Cantonese. It's, so it's a form of Chinese. And so... Yes. It's China, Yeah, it's Chinese. So um, in Canada, especially on the west coast of Canada, French is not really useful. I mean, I've, I have not found it useful. I used to speak fluent French after living on the east coast of Canada. Once you get to the west coast, it is a, we have a high population of Asian, and that is incredibly useful to have as a police officer here versus if you were to go say work in rural Nova Scotia I don't know the Cantonese is going to be on your list as a well-spoken language I don't really even know what they speak because their English is so so thick and weird with an accent so I, it's beautiful but I, I don't often actually understand it I'm going on a tangent there but Cantonese And so that is, I can understand why you would want to stay in the VPD. That makes more sense to me. And I think that's another thing that you totally kind of washed over is like, you're not just a female that made it into the police force, then broke all the barriers. You're also of Asian descent as a female. That's huge. Do you realize how big that is?
1: No, not at the time. (laughs)
0: That's insane! Like, hold on, back up. Eighties. Who was a who who was a woman in the police force? And it, and how many Asian people did you see in the police force?
1: Well, there was one other female. One. One other, yeah. at okay. the Time, and there were several males that were Asian. That were Asian, yes. Because
0: they were like, but if you were to go RCMP, I mean, like, you're not gonna see. I highly doubt. I think I would have been the first. Yeah. Yeah, like that's, I, I've
1: been told that I was the first Chinese Canadian female yes, in Canada. Yes, but I, I don't know. Not no. a big deal at all to you, I guess. No, that's giant. That's 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 like, I <laughs> Coleman. You
0: know that? Uh, help me here. There's a there's a movie. It's like a I want to say it's like a Will Ferrell movie. This will get funny. It's like just smashing barriers, but they're doing this motion. Oh, what uh, the
1: other guys?
0: Yeah, the other guys is just just breaking. <laughs> barriers sorry have you seen the other guy no. it's a police movie and it's it's with uh, mark Wahlberg and will ferrell and it is talks about just smashing barriers and just the way they do it is fantastic and i think you not even realizing it makes it that much more perfect is because that just shows how humble of a like a person you are
1: thank you well you <laughs> just genie <laughs> thank you you're just that's what i mean that wasn't that wasn't my intent like it was just something that i was interested in and it was a job like i needed a job
0: yeah but like did your parents uh, do, like was there any influence before that did you come from a police background family did you have that sort of uh, did you watch tv and see it like what there had to be something there
1: no um if there was anything there it's because i came from a very broken home it was a very fractured home so okay. there it was. just to give you a little bit of context uh is that um, my mom died before I was two, so I never had a mother that I oh, knew Oh,
0: Jesus, genie, I'm sorry.
1: Um, my uh, father remarried, and uh, th- let's just say that I didn't have a very good childhood.
0: Yeah, you didn't have a good upbringing.
1: No, not at all. And um, I was more or less brought up for a short period of time by my grandmother and my great-grandmother. Mm-hmm. Who unfortunately when I was thirteen they both passed away within months of each other. Oh my god, and then Jeannie. It left me kind of floundering. You think? <laughs> a little. I'm so sorry. My uh yeah. So I pretty much had to kind of take care of myself and uh put myself through school. Um there's been points in in my life that uh, you know. I don't know if it's PTSD, but there's been points in my life where there's been a couple of incidents that someone my age should not have been able to see. Yeah. So um, my great-grandmother, for, for example, um, I guess I was, well, maybe 12, 11 or something like that. So she didn't speak any any English, and uh, she was, um, I guess communication was very difficult for her in English. And there was a lot of people in in the area that we were living that just spoke Cantonese. Okay. This is in the Strathcona area of Vancouver. And somewhere in that time, um, I guess the government was talking about people who don't have um, full Canadian citizenship, Will be deported. Oh, something like that. I can't remember what it was, but um, unless they become Canadian citizens, and she was in her eighties at this point, and uh, she um, didn't think that she could pass this test. What year was this? Uh, you know, seventies. Um, no, wait a sec. Let me. How get... about... votes? Yeah, probably early 70. Early 70 probably 70. Yeah. So, anyways, I was um she was very she was very anxious about this and she talked about it a bit and she thought there was no way I could I could I could do this. I wasn't living with them with my grandmother and great-grandmother at the time. I would be living with my parents and then on weekends I would go and and uh and stay with my grandparents. Anyways, um it was during a weekday, which was kind of strange, but I had gone with my dad um, shopping and then wanted to, to stop by my grandparents' place. Mm-hmm. So we went there, and there was no one home, which was kind of strange because this was probably about nine, nine o'clock at night, and there was no one home. And um, my, uh, my great grandmother should have been home. My grandmother would have been playing mahjong somewhere, but my, my great grandmother should have been home. And we couldn't find it. we couldn't find her. We were calling for her, and then um, I remembered looking outside and looking at the garage, and uh, there was a light on. And I saw, you know, maybe she's there, which is really kind of strange. So my father and I went went to the garage, and he tried to open the door, and he and he couldn't because it was um, it was locked. And uh, you know, I, but you could just peek in a bit, and then he started. To scream, and then um, uh, somehow he yanked open the door, and my uh, my great grandmother had hung herself. Oh, but she was—it um, must have just happened because we rushed in. My dad—I remembered my dad lifting her up, mm-hmm. and then he was saying, "Go, go get, go get, uh, go get a pair of scissors or something." Yeah. Anyways, I cut her down, and. You were she, 13 years old, Jeannie. She was, I wasn't 13, I don't even think I was 13. Oh, time for time I was sakes. probably 12. Oh, my dear. And uh, cut her down, and she was She was fine. Like I said, that's not fine, but you know what I mean. She, she was, was alive. alive. She was conscious. And, um, and she started crying, and that was the reason why, was because of all these people saying that they, she was going to be deported. She, and couldn't, she, she couldn't handle that? Because there was no one back in, in China for her, right? So, yeah, she could Where was she going to go? So, yeah. Oh, my God, Jeannie. So that, n- maybe things like that in my past or um, the way I was brought up or not brought up, mm-hmm. maybe that had an impact on mm-hmm. me, but uh, it's just one of those things that just, we didn't come, there was no one I knew was a police officer. I mean, yeah. my police interactions were, you know, I see them on the street and that's about it, mm-hmm. and yeah, just kind of one of those things, like I said, that where you're, I'm sitting there and I see this ad and... And that was it for you, and that was it. Yeah. did you did you feel a sense of um, sorry, that's cr- I'm just uh, hey, it's been it's been fifty almost fifty years and yeah, and I, I still I know have problems
0: with it i and and so you should I mean, I don't know that you can't you can go through your life without having um problems with that. and I think I'm not a not a doctor by any means, but dear God, I mean if that's not caused you some form of PTSD then I don't like you should never have had to seen that have seen that at that age um, I hate for that for you uh, but I do know that a part of you was hardened then and whether or not that was positive at the time it made you who you are which turned into a positive person and Instead of allowing that to break, you used it as a opportunity for growth, and um, I think that's why you've been able to to succeed. And so, of course, I you of course you should have a hard time telling that story. Of course, you should feel those feelings. That that doesn't. There's no time limit for stuff like that. That's something I've I've learned in treatment over the past almost 10 years of getting my ass kicked by Dr. Greg Passy is that time will come and go but everything can ebb and flow and PTSD is not always a a linear linear path. It has um, its ups and its downs and it has its way of rearing its ugly head right when you think you're good and I wouldn't I would bet all the money in the world that that is a you have a symptom of PTSD, whether it's a form of it or or not. But I think, I think you do for sure. And I, I can't understand um, how you could not understand why. I mean, my God, just that alone, and then and then being in the police department, and then having a whole other uh, subset of traumas that got brought on there. Um, I want to. I want to talk a little bit about you saying that you were, you had to raise yourself. How does one go from losing their grandparents to how old were you when you applied for the police department? The first time around? Yeah. Uh,
1: 21.
0: So you were fairly Mm -hmm. young for a police department standards. Back then, that was normal. That was more the age bracket, but now you see police going in a little bit later in life, having to have that university or having that, the requirements are a lot higher. I know this because they said no to me because they said there were so many grammatical uh, errors in my email that they can't even consider me for a position. (laughs) And they didn't even know about the PTSD at that point. So that'll tell you something, Jeannie. Um, But with With the police department, in that age, how did how did you how did you survive from from thirteen till twenty one? How did you end up putting yourself through school? Like what what
1: was that path like? You had to survive, right? Somehow, I I don't know. Maybe my grandmother, great grandmother, and my mom were looking over me somehow. But um, it was hard. I uh, I started working. summer programs, right, I was lucky to get a couple of uh, jobs in the summer program, didn't pay that much but you know it did okay and uh, when I went to um, when I went to university I knew I wanted to go to university I took a lot of student loans and they had student loans and grants to pay for my education and uh, yeah and I was I was fortunate along the way too to have um, some good friends and families that take care of me. I have you know at that time I yeah, I had a couple of families that more or less took me in and took care of me in a mm-hmm. way, you know, so I was very fortunate in that way.
0: Do you still spend a lot of time with them? Do you see those people?
1: No, unfortunately not. They were at
0: that point they were at that point in your life where you needed them and they were they were there for a reason at that time. It's it's funny when you talk to people. I don't know if you've noticed this, but especially with COVID, Um, you the communication has changed and the way that we communicate obviously has changed quite significantly and I find that the people that you you want to stay in touch with it's hard when you're not always near them or you're not always around them as much but you notice people kind of fall off to the wayside and it's I don't People always say it's like, oh, well, you're maybe not being a good friend or you're not being appreciative of the, with the work they put in for you, but I view it as those people were meant to be in your life for that time frame and that time frame only, mm-hmm. and that's okay to accept that, though, and be still grateful and appreciative for those people. You can still have, be thankful they were in your life for that time. But it's not... what So when you say unfortunately, I would say I wouldn't see it like that. I, I understand you mean it might be saddening, but there's some level that I think is good that you were able to move past and be successful in the way you are. Um, it's almost like a way of honoring them without having to have that communication. It's like they've done their their job in the world to help form you the way you were supposed to be formed and be there for you at the time that you needed it. And that's what, you know, their job was. And now you're able to move forward. So I always like to think that people come and go and there is, it's okay to, to move past, um, to move past people and for mm-hmm. a positive or a negative reason, so I always like to think try to look at that as a positive experience because <laughs> you 've been through so much hardship that you know you've got to really look dig deep to find the really the really
1: positive it feels like in your story. Yeah. I probably spent uh, more Christmases with those two families than mm-hmm. I did with uh, my own that's crazy
0: yeah. i I always wonder about that. I see these uh, you see these kids on the street, and you see these younger, early adolescent teenagers, and whether they're on the street for one reason or another, we don't know all their stories, but we know that there is a, you know, there's that struggle there, that mental health struggle, um, because of the way a family chose to, or for lack of a better word, didn't choose to raise their child, and it's heartbreaking. Being a mom now, seeing that, I I have this like need to want to save everybody. So I always wonder when you, you know, you say that you didn't have, you know, you didn't have this these people to kind of save you and protect you. You had to do that for yourself. I feel like it was almost a natural fit for you to go into policing. Like I feel like no matter what you would have ended up doing schooling wise, I can't see you not of having that want to protect others, like like you said. Mm-hmm. You don't know why. You just saw an ad. But I think there's a lot more to it than that. Maybe. <laughs> I think there is. I definitely think there is. What so you did it, you got to the
1: point where you could walk back into the VPD and then what happened? Uh, actually, it's, it's a really funny story in that, uh, so I walked in and uh, the, the assistant was sitting there and I asked her for an application. I can still see it, it's clear as day. Mm-hmm. And I asked her for an application and she said, no, I'm sorry, we're not accepting applications at this time. And I was thinking, oh, I don't want to come all the way back down here again, right? Driving downtown is yeah, horrible. It is. I know. And so I said, well, I said, can I just get an application? And then um, and then when you are accepting applications, then I will put it in. I promise that yeah. that's when I'll do it. And then she just kind of looked at me. She goes, well... She goes, the um, the qualifications are there on the on the board behind you. Mm-hmm. Make sure you qualify first, right? Oh. So. oh, snarky. Oh no, she wasn't snarky, actually. She was she was very nice. And so I I, I looked and I, I read everything and everything and I started kinda I remember thinking that, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all the same. Yeah. It's like and then I turned around and I said to her, and I says, um, if I've gone through this before, do I have to go through all this again? And what she said next just blew my mind. She just looked at me and she goes, "You're Jeannie Yee, aren't you? You're the only woman to do it. You badass! God I, damn it, Jeannie!" I I remember the as soon as she said that, I looked at her and I'm looking at what I'm wearing. Like, am I wearing a jacket Do that I have has a name my name? Yeah, it? did I keep my name tag? And I did I, I write it on my forehead? Couldn't this see morning? anything, and I went, "Yeah, Jeannie's I, a big I deal. am. And she just and then she said. I've been waiting for you to walk through these doors again. And then she told me what happened. Uh, the fact that they didn't think, the upper echelon did not think that I would ever pass the physical, let alone pass everything I told else. you, they
0: didn't think you so could do
1: it. So she, um, her name was Barb, I can't remember her last name, unfortunately, but she said, you know what, I give me your, your information and mm-hmm. uh, take this application and I will talk to the sergeant about you and see what will happen. And true to her words, she found my um, application in archives, and I did get a uh, phone call and kind of, yeah, reapply. 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 You
0: reapplied. So then, did you have to do everything all over again?
1: No, there were some things um, I didn't have to do because they they say uh, you've scored so high on the test. It's like, why bother making you do it again? But I did have to go through the physical again, which was.
0: Did you end up beating? Do you remember what your first physical was? Did you, did you end up beating it?
1: No, it was a it was a, a different physical. They had okay. changed the physical, Okay. right? So, um, so it's a big shout out to Sergeant Escobar Kajander because he's the one who actually hired me in the end. That's and, amazing. Uh, so hired me, and I was so happy. Like, yeah, I cannot believe. Like, I felt like I won won the lottery.
0: See that right there in itself just shows you that you can't. You don't. You're the beginning of you. Doesn't have to be your story your whole life. Like, do you see, do you realize like the difference your life could have been if you just weren't a little bit stronger than someone else like you were?
1: If, uh, yeah, if I had given up. Yeah. Yeah. If you had given up just once. But at the same time, it could be different too if um, I had gotten to management, right? I might not have. Entered this phase, I don't know. I'm really glad that they were super
0: sexist then. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, that sounds horrible to say, but I'm super glad they were super sexist and they didn't want you in the management position because then the rest of the world got a different version of you. Which I think, in the end, uh, from where what I've seen, seems to be could have been life saving for so many. You get into the police force. What is that like for you though? Because now you're walking into a male driven job. You're a tiny little female. Um, you're walking into a police department that just at that point recently allowed women to start to be allowed in the police department at a very like very low rate so walk me through that
1: uh it was quite interesting tell me Um, everything I want to know everything (laughs) one they didn't even have clothes for me yes did you have to do the roll did you roll uh I had to get a lot of custom made stuff even right down to my boots like I remembered um for my shoes and everything they were telling me that maybe I should just go to an army surplus place and yeah I I couldn't find any at the end they ended up having to custom make some boots for me but um probably the most interesting thing I think I see I never thought about my height I never thought about being small or anything like that probably because of the sports I played probably Mm -hmm. because I never it's just
0: it wasn't a deterrent no, for you because it you kept doing... So what, right? Yeah, you did volleyball. You were successful at that. So why would it... You did basketball. You were successful at that. So why would you think anything else? It's almost like you're, you're, you, when you looked in the mirror, had a form of dysphoric, a dysphoric <laughs> when you were like...
1: I thought I was taller you than You thought I you were
0: like six foot tall. It's kind of like a chihuahua when they look in the mirror. They don't <laughs> see a tiny chihuahua. They see this giant Kenny King Corso. But that's really what it was for you. you why else would you have like... You would never have looked at yourself any other way because you never failed at anything you tried. So, of course, your height didn't matter to you. Why would it? Why would you think for it to matter? I get yeah. that.
1: Yeah. I well, respect that. So, it didn't didn't really occur to me that it would be a problem until actually I, I got to the academy and then... Uh, I guess it was in my, we, where the academy at that time, there was what they call five blocks. So you would go for block one, which is all your, your schooling, mm-hmm. your training and everything. And then block two, you would go out and do your practicum. And then block three, you would go, um, you go back to the school, uh-huh. back to the academy. And when you finish that, your deemed graduated, but then you had to go back for block four and five, which is more advanced Advanced training, weaponry, and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, just advanced, okay. M- more advanced, advanced stuff. So, anyways, we um, so we start block one, and uh, like again, I yeah, I'm the you smallest. Smashed it, didn't I'm you? the smallest, and I didn't think anything of it. But what came was that uh, I guess floating around the department because the academy was on West Fourth Avenue at the time, okay. which is quite far away from 312 Main. Yes. Right. So, anyways, uh, apparently there were a lot of rumors and floating around about um, the department hiring this little girl. This tiny human? <laughs> that was, yeah, that was no more than five feet tall. And, and then, uh, again, at that time, there was maybe only 60 females in the department at the so most. That's since, since yeah Since inception. Since-
0: of, of females
1: in the police department. So, um, you know, and, and I heard rumors that, you know, people were saying that, yeah, they didn't want to work with me because they were afraid that uh, I would be a hindrance and they didn't want to be a babysitter. That was the, that was the ah, word yes. that a lot of them use. I ain't, I ain't going to babysit no girl. Right? Oh, <laughs> oh my so, you know, God. well, yes. whatever. People can say whatever they want. They don't know me. But what happened in the academy was an incident that kind of solidified something and it really helped my reputation oh god i love it so
0: i love this so much I'm it, sorry. it was
1: it was quite hilarious um so like i said before i have a background in martial arts yes this is getting Great. so much better Chini. and there was another person in the academy <laughs> in my in my class that also had a background in martial arts okay and when we had physical training, you know, it's sort of like um, in between periods, right? While we're waiting for the instructor, he would always say, you know, come on, let's let's see what you know. Let's see what you know, yeah. right? Because he wanted to spar. And me being goody-two-shoes, was afraid of getting in trouble, and I no, I don't want to get caught, you know? Yeah. Like, if the instructor finds us, we're, we're going to be in trouble. No, 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 no. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And so I would say, no, 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 no. And finally one day, I said, okay, we were a bit I guess we were a bit early, earlier than, than normal. And I says, okay, okay, okay. So we we took the stance to to fight. Mm-hmm. And um, I uh, <laughs> let, let me let me kind of explain how tall he was too. I think he's I think he's about five nine. Oh, okay. I mean five nine, mm-hmm. about 180, 180 pounds, maybe. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he, um, uh, and then I was 115 and 5'1". Five 5'1". One. Five one. <laughs> we'll maybe 5'1". Today. And so, anyways, we squared off, and I made the first move. So my first move was that I faked a kick to his groin.
0: Oh, yeah. Perfect.
1: Right. So he goes down. He goes down, and then I did um, a roundhouse to his head.
0: Oh, fantastic!
1: Unfortunately as he's going down uh, Did you
0: knock him out
1: he, I didn't knock him out but I knocked him down oh. but it wasn't because it was a hard kick or anything I like, please like <laughs> anybody who is listening is like I, I it was not my intention it was just the way it happened because of his momentum I think he did it intentionally his momentum and it An caught intent. him square in the head Perfect. and he went down and I was I think my eyes went like oh my god did I are you okay? Yeah, because this was not my intent. And then, um, anyways, that went back to the apartment. That little incident. And yeah, everyone heard about it, and everyone knew about it. And then, I never heard anything about being
0: oh, being so a,
1: being someone's babysitter after that
0: so what you're saying is it actually worked out in your favor you didn't end up getting in trouble and you should have kicked him in the face initially at the first it's kind of like <laughs> Coleman you're laughing because it's like jailhouse rules it's like walk up to the biggest guy punch them right in the face and you'll be respected and I'm sorry but that's exactly what just happened in a totally di- you can't say I'm wrong well you did it
1: that that was probably the best thing that happened at the beginning of my career see told and you like Kicked him in the face. then I was fine.
0: I can't tell you how many times I have said that in this office. There is not a lot of things that cannot be solved without kicking somebody in the face. (laughs) Listen, I don't... I'm not saying I'm advocating for violence, but I'm saying it's been a productive way of getting things done. Sometimes people need to be kicked in the face, and that's okay, because they deserve it. (laughs) Anyway, it worked for you, though. It worked in your favor. And after that, no one squawked. You worked with everybody. Was there any issues, though, did you find after that? Uh,
1: not, Getting- that I, not that I know of. Like, you hear certain things, but no one would yeah. say things to your face. But no. you know what? Um, I, I hear a lot about other departments with females and, and mm-hmm. all that. Yes. But I, I can honestly say that, you know, there no one said anything to my face. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if it was, if they said anything, I didn't know about it. It was driven underground, whatever. But um, everyone treated me very well. Yeah. Um had a lot of fun. And a lot of times, yeah, people will say things about your height and, and everything. Oh, they're like just that, teasing they're just teasing, right? And I yeah. can give back just as just as well as they can. Well, they were. I
0: was just gonna say, that's the thing. When you're I find when you're smaller, and I I think I understand this as well as you do, it you almost expect it. There's a mm-hmm. part of you that expects to be kind of ribbed a little bit, and in an all-male unit with only a few females, if you're the one who Gives it back. It's almost like the respect factor goes up in a weird way. Mm-hmm. It's a weird currency. I don't quite understand it. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about with that? Do. Yeah, it's it's hard to explain. Uh, I I don't know if you noticed it, but I found the more I gave it back, just the sheer respect I got. That okay, she's gonna she's gonna stand up for herself. She's she's gonna mm-hmm. have a backbone about it. She's not just gonna take things lying down here. Um, But also being able to say enough's enough when it's too far kind of thing as well. And I think you have no issue with that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: at all. Um, When you started moving through the ranks, though, did you find it was uh, the same pace as men or was it... Yeah, see? Um. That's the face I'm looking for. That's what I'm waiting for. You. It's all it's all fun and games. You're in there. That's great. But what happens when you start smashing records and, and, you know, having the best arrest records and the best this and that and all these other guys aren't? And are you getting promoted? Or are you being looked at as the same then
1: still? I think it's the same any, anywhere in the world, in different professions everywhere, is that, you know, when uh, a woman is trying to advance up, in, in a, especially in a male-dominated area, is that it's always that, you know, oh, who's she sleeping with? Ah, really yes. What has she done? The good know? old yes. who's she sleeping with. Exactly. Love that one. So it's it's, it's always going to be the same, right? Yes. Or, or you know, um, it's not only that. It's like, oh, it's affirmative action, that oh, type of things. It's mm. always that, like, oh, yeah, they have to have so many females and they have to make an example. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, you always get that part, too. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah I get it. That makes and sense. you know what? And I probably still exist to this
0: day. Oh, it does. I'm telling you it does. It's like the <laughs> definition of working with men. I, I got no issue working with men. I have no issue taking the brunt of comments. And, like, I, I'm not one that's going to yell, that's sexist. I mean, some people may, but life experience, you, you learn really quickly on the, on the um, I guess, on the list of life. Of things to really give a shit about and put your energy into, mm-hmm. you know, telling someone you have a nice ass isn't on my like. I'm not. I'm going to be like, thank you. I do a lot of squats. Thanks for noticing. Rather than this person, you know, everybody to each their own. Yes. That is totally fine. But I don't see you. Like I said, you and I are, I think, cut from a very different cloth. Where you don't that that stuff doesn't matter. Your perspective of you know what is important in life and what needs to be addressed in life is is very different than a lot of other people and i think that's why you're able to to do that and move up and you made it all the way to an inspector yes jeannie you're a big deal girl tell me can you tell me how that happened because that on its own defies everything that you were told from the moment you joined the police department
1: no, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> what <laughs> do you mean <laughs> you don't know what to say? Okay. How long did so, it take you? What was the time frame of that for you? Uh, okay, so I went through from constable to sergeant to staff sergeant and then inspector. Those were the, the ranks that I obtained. Yep. And that took 21 years, I think, which is average. Is pretty average, I think. Even yeah. for male, in your male uh, departments as well. I think so. I think, you know what, um, for the Vancouver Police Department, I think is very, very progressive.
0: Right? It's incredibly it's, progressive, yes. We yeah. have
1: a lot of females. We have a higher percentage of females in our department than I think any any department in Canada. Maybe I don't And it. probably in the U.S. And a lot of that has to do with, with our recruiting, you know, the way we recruit, and, and also knowing that... Um, what our audience is in mm-hmm. Vancouver. We're a very diverse community and yes. you have to police in that diverse community and you can't have all White men? Yeah. <laughs> I'll say
0: can't have a bunch of white dudes running around like it's the fifties and, you know, with a with zero diversity, Vancouver of all places. The second you you don't even have to leave, that's the thing about Vancouver is you don't even have to leave the city to see an immense amount of diversity in a small pocket. You don't have to go to Surrey to see um, Middle Eastern people. You can, you'll can you have them in Vancouver. You'll have an Asian culture. You'll have a white culture. You'll have a, you know, the, everybody is in that culture. And it's such a small bubble. So I can see why it's incredibly important to keep that diversity up. But I find the women you guys hire, like, are, they're very strong. Like, they're not, they're not weak-looking women by any means. And I think that's a testament to your recruiting style.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you
0: don't just hire, ha- like you said, you don't hire women just to hire women. You hire women that can do the job,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as far as I can see. For the limited amount of information I have,
1: so I was in. I worked in recruiting as a as a detective for a couple of years, and I was also as an inspector in charge of the recruiting division. Okay. And you know what? Very rewarding place, and that is what we strive for: is to hire diversity, good people, not just you know. We weren't just hiring because you know you're a female and you're going to get in. Like you had to have very strong skills. I find it's a
0: little different now not maybe the police departments, but I mean the hiring practices um, in a lot of different positions, uh, filling the void of cultures or uh, ethnicities because it's the right thing to do, whether or not they're actually good at the job. They need X amount of these people, X amount of those people, X amount of these. Like it's, I'm seeing that on other boards. I'm not um, seeing it as much in my profession, but I am seeing it a lot more in... Uh, much higher uh, how it's the companies that are you know doing ridiculous numbers, right, mm-hmm. that have advisory and have all this and have all that, and the, the boards are being met, you know, well, we want to bring this person on, but right now we actually kind of need this type of person, so mm-hmm. they're going to get it over them. Um, I'm seeing more of that than I would like to see. I, do, I obviously don't know, but the police department, I don't think they're doing that. We're At the least. same.
1: Oh, okay. We're pretty much the same. Oh, fantastic. But we we have a lot of really, really good applicants.
0: Yeah. Right? Well, that's the difference, though, right? Is It's, it's the quality of the applicant um, versus the, the hiring practice. As long mm-hmm. as you're having a qualified applicant pool um, that are all diverse, then it doesn't really matter who you pick from. It's when you start talking about, well, this person is this, so we're going to put them in that pool because we need to hire them anyway. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I take issue with that a little bit, but you're like you said the the, like the pool you're picking from is 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 quite extensive. In that sense, it's they're very physically fit, they're very educated, and I know that because, like I said, in applying to the VPD when you turned me down, um, was uh, needing I think it was like a minimum of two years of college, and I just remember like going like I am not a school person. I've already done. Some schooling, and it already wasn't in anybody's favor for me to be there. <laughs> like it just was a bad situation. So, like I totally understood why you didn't hire me, and it was probably a good idea in the long run. Because um, was we, it me? I, you know what? I don't even know. I didn't even get. I didn't even get a phone call. I didn't even get an in person. I got an email. They basically were like, "Too many grammar errors. <laughs> so, okay. We cannot move forward with the process with you." <laughs> I was like, "That's embarrassing." I'm still in the military though. <laughs>
1: They hired me. But can you you can see why because, you know, can you imagine no, if but I your do. your case goes before happens to make the news or something that yeah, you've investigated yeah. and they're going to take these ex- excerpts from yeah. your report and it's going like, oh, to It's wow. going to
0: have the worst spelling <laughs> in all of the land and the language is going to be incredibly colorful and it won't be allowed to be aired in court. That's my problem. I mean that's my that's my point is that you can want to be something but sometimes you're just not made for it. And in your your instance, I feel like everything you went through as a younger child, whether it be good, you know, for the good or for the bad, mostly for the bad, it really did form this person that was exactly what the police force needed. Because once you got to that level and you did start taking on that responsibility of hiring the next generation of police department, um, uh, the the next department of... um, police officers, you you knew what you really needed rather than what you should be getting. You knew where you needed to be pulling from. You knew the type of people you should be hiring if you wanted that type of quality policing. And I think that shows. I think the police department as in Vancouver has been um, great to work with. We have a lot of VPD officers that come in here on a regular basis just to hang out and chat and... They're always very open about their jobs. And um, the only thing that I I hear more and more about right now is just the general struggle that they're going through with any time they make an arrest or uh, out in public or any time there's a gathering. It's just very hard to do proper policing when you're always being watched by a lot of cameras. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to touch base on that a little bit with you because you are much more informed with... Uh, policing than I am, and for me to talk about something like this, I want to make sure I'm doing it with somebody that actually knows what they're talking about, and not just me. Um, so I I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with the police departments. Uh, n- obviously, we know North America, there's uh, been a shift in policing and the way they want, uh, the governments want things done, and the way that the public wants them done. Obviously, America has the predominant amount of that disaster going on right now, and um, with uh, George Floyd and all all these other police officers. What are we doing in Canada that's causing something to be so drastically different than the U.S.? What are we doing right that's not translating over to them? Like, I want to understand a little bit of what's going on so I can wrap my head around how all this bullshit happens.
1: I really believe that we have way better training Okay. Than the Americans do,
0: and that's what it comes down to.
1: It comes to training, and it also comes to um, the requirements to be a police officer. The qualifications we have very, very high standards to become a police officer. Whereas, okay. you know, a lot of places in the states, it's like you know you have high school, or mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much it, right? Um, with you know maybe no life experience, no work experience, and there, we're, we're going to put a gun and here you go. And you're barely mature enough to to even know what you're doing. You can right? barely vote. Exactly. can't even drink in the States, but you can <laughs> get hired as a cop. Exactly. How does that make sense? So, and and a lot of them don't get paid as, as high as we do, too. Oh, no, that's right? true for sure. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's very, very different here. Um, I think the way we treat people is very different, you know, the Canadian way, right, than yeah. the American. And what I find very disturbing is the fact that People in Canada, when they look at the states and they look at policing, they look at us as part of the problem. As the like same, as yeah, as yeah. the same, and we are not the same. Yeah, you know, um, we don't have those incidents. And well, I'm not saying we don't have, we don't have as many incidents. Yes. And um, there's always going to be a bad apple. You know, of course there we, is. We we can't help that. And but we are not the same. And so when they're asking, when they're Right now, calling our police officers' names and and um, saying to defund the police,
0: it's you know, that's,
1: that's wrong. Like, you got to look at your own neighborhood before you start doing that. And if we are doing something fundamentally wrong as police officers, then yes, call us out for that. And so one of the things, um, actually, I'm glad that you mentioned that, is that, you know, they're, they're talking about, let's say, like, mental health arrests, you yeah. know, and all these things that we've done. Well, it never used to be our responsibility. Yeah. It was no, it was something that we would call, you know, mental health people to come and take care of it. It was never a policing responsibility. And then slowly, because I guess there was no funding or, or whatever, we, yeah, started, we started taking over. And, and then it was,
0: you had CAR-86, right? They have CAR-86 now, is it?
1: CAR-87. 87.
0: 87, sorry.
1: Yeah. And um, it's slowly we, we start taking more and more of, of the cases oh. and... Yeah, and and yeah, getting more funding for it because there's no one else to do it. And, you know, I read in the papers and people are saying, you know, yes, the mental health people who are trained should get called first. Well, you know what? They'll probably call us to come with them.
0: They're (laughs) noncompliant. A lot of these patients, that's what people forget is a lot of these patients are noncompliant. They Mm -hmm. are either off medication or if there is a mental health call, there's a reason for it. They're Mm -hmm. not calling because... Um, the paramedics when they're they're taught when I did the schooling when I became a paramedic and then I actually didn't end up doing it out in the field after the military the one thing they said to me and this is why I knew I could I did the schooling got the the education woo I'm a paramedic but then they go if you ever go into something and the police are not there yet and there is somebody that's in distress that's mentally unwell and that's dangerous you can't go that's right you have to wait for the police officers yes and that's not me so that's when I was like, this isn't for me. I'm going to get killed by accident. <laughs> yeah. So you run into these issues, um, these non-compliance. but do you believe it's still the responsibility of the police?
1: You know, what, we are trained in mental health, um, the Mental Health Act and how to react to people who are in the throes of mental health crises and all that. Yeah. But there's only so much that we can do. And yeah. uh, I think if they want to defund or or they're criticizing us for that is that okay you go ahead you try and yeah let's see what happens Uh, there's so many issues with um,
0: British Columbia and um, specifically I guess I speak about it because it's it's where we live um, with the way we deal with our mental health Um, the way that we deal with for example the downtown east side which if people don't know is like enthralled with drugs and addiction and it's sad. It's the saddest thing. Um, it's
1: the worst place in North America
0: apparently. Yeah, so that's fantastic. Let's take that as a gold star. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong and I and I may not have my facts 100% but I, I remember it in schooling very briefly. When Riverview mm-hmm. closed mm-hmm. and everybody got let out mm-hmm. they, that was a big uh component of the east side. Yes. Okay, so that I am I did remember that correctly. Okay, good. Hey, well wouldn't for yeah. me. Um, but no seriously that's important to note because why did that place need to close in the first place? Which let's let everybody know what that place was. That was a psychiatric facility that held patients that were deemed long term.
1: Uh, there was long term and short term I believe. Yep. Yeah, so there was a there was a mix of patients. And then due to what This place closed. I couldn't tell you. I'm guessing it was funding, but I have no idea.
0: Okay. So let's just say it was funding. And now we, all of these people are centralized in a very small space, um, which is incredibly dangerous for police officers to go into and deal with because the majority of those people, if I'm not wrong, are struggling with a mental health or addiction issue. Yes. Okay. Okay. Why the hell are we expecting the police officers to go in and handle this? Um, when the there let's for for lack of a better example, there isn't really that much training for dealing with somebody who's dealing with mental health crises, but also an addiction who could be possibly violent. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to lay out a scenario here and try to ask, really, how the hell are they going to fix any of this? How are they expecting the police to fix this when they're trying to defund them, but they're also not giving the funding for the psychiatric work that needs to be done? I'm just trying to get your opinion on this, because I don't understand any of this and how the hell it got this bad.
1: I, I couldn't answer that. All I know is that, you know what, um, I was born and raised close to the downtown east side. The yep. Strathcona community was is probably next door to the downtown east side. And uh, I remembered walking down, I would walk down with my grandmother um, down the streets on East Hastings Street and the only people that would ever bother us was maybe be some drunks who would ask for a quarter or something like that, or people staggering around. And then when I became a police officer, um, that was my first place that I patrolled and that was in 1988 Mm -hmm. when I was patrolling those streets. And it was still a lot of, uh, some drugs, but um, still, a lot of people that were intoxicated. Yeah. And but you know what? You never really kind of felt unsafe. Like I never felt unsafe. I would. There were times that I would be working a one man car. You know, at two, three, four in the morning, and he'd I'm be shocked. Calling, he, no, but at that time, there'd be no one on the street. Like it literally, was safe enough there for was you to no go one. out. There was two, there was probably two one man cars in that little area, and wow. we'd be like just going around and around in circle, waiting for our shift to end because there was. There was no one on the street. Yeah. And then as the years progressed, they started allowing 24 um, hour uh, grocery stores and food places. And oh. then it made it worse. Interesting. Yeah, it, it started making it worse because then people were now kind of going in there and hanging around on the streets. And, There's a
0: place for them to congregate. Yes. Because That's before, before everything
1: wasn't. else was closed. The bars, once the bars were closed at like one o'clock or yeah. something like that, there was nothing on the street.
0: That, that's such a weird correlation. I'm wondering if anybody's ever looked at
1: that. I, I don't know. But that's what I remember is that yeah. once those 24-hour places opened, then it was like, whoa. You it know, was and over. Now there's more and more. And then, then I remembered um, there were times when you'd think, oh, this place could never get any worse. And every time I went back, it was like, wow, this place is getting worse. This place is getting worse. And now it's now 24 hours. There's people not just in the alleys. Before it was in the alleys. Now it's in like the dirt. alleys. Yeah. It's on the street. Like
0: it's like bad. 8 o'clock
1: in the morning, 1 p.m. Oh yeah. Evenings, everything. It's like so bad out in the street. People are selling goods. They're lying on the street. They've got tents. Some of them are set up there. Yeah. It's it's horrid.
0: So it's It sounds like it's turning into a version of what LA is right now during COVID. I don't know if you've heard about what LA looks like right now. It's just tents, like it's yeah. under overpass, like under all of the overpasses like it's just packed and it's i don't want to say it's dangerous but it's filled with people that are that are ill and also mixed with people that are losing everything mm-hmm. because of all the shutdowns and the in my opinion the lack of give a shit factor for those who are struggling with mental health and realizing you know they're not being given the care that they need right now. Over the past eight months, there's no no wonder the homelessness has gone up and the suicides have gone up and the the I I heard a stat on the news it was uh, domestic abuse has gone up 400 percent. Am I wrong on that? Did That's, I hear that right?
1: It's gone up. It's gone
0: up. No, seriously, I want to say it was a Global or CTV. I heard mm-hmm. it on and I flipped my lid because the that alone, in my opinion, should be enough to end a, a lockdown. Why aren't we looking after the vulnerable community? Where does the balance of, of life versus of those that are, are losing everything and struggling so, so horribly, where does that start to matter? When mm-hmm. does that matter? And I think we see that with the East Side. I think we see that with COVID. And I think we've seen that over the past. Like you said, you saw the real start of the East Side. Do you think, and I'm throwing this out there, and I don't, I don't know if you know much about this, do you think the um, safe injection site has been any use to Vancouver?
1: Well, I think it's saved a lot of lives, yes, I do.
0: Saved a lot of lives, but do you think it's actually done any um, positive? And so, I'm not saying saving those lives isn't positive, because that came out real wrong, sorry about that. Um, I'm trying to find a way to word it. I know they work in terms of they've been they've been used in Europe and I and I did study them in school. Um, Heidi Curry was one of my professors. She she's very educated in this and like I said, my memory is a little spotty. That's why I'm asking you. Um, I know they work in, in terms of getting homelessness and, and and reworking the the drug population in Europe and uh, really helping with that. So I know there is use to them and it, but we are I want to say one of the only ones in North America that have a safe injection site. Um, but what, what I wonder is how is it being used in a positive way if we're still seeing such a high intake of drug abuse and overdose on the east
1: side? I think in itself it it can't help the situation. It needs more resources. It needs mm-hmm. I, I know, you know, Vancouver's talked for years about the four pillars yeah. approach and um Maybe the safe injection site is just one, but you know what? It's not being propped up by the other.
0: So that's where you think the downfall
1: is. It I could think it be is. doing the work. It could be doing the work because it, it's like the first step, right? Yeah, it's the step right direction. It's a, like, the it's right a safe direction. place for people that are in in need, yeah, crisis would be would be using it. But then, but then what? There's nothing else, so they keep on going back and back and back. But there's yes. there's nothing helping them with their addiction.
0: Because I know initially in this. Um, I believe the plan was to have uh, on top of it was supposed to be a rehab where you can go in and if you're, you feel ready, you can tell somebody in the facility, they would then take you and transfer you or move you to a bed at that time, which then would be like a transition into, um, another, another, uh, treatment center or something along mm-hmm. those lines. And I didn't, I didn't hear anything or see anything about that happening or, um, if that was actually going to continue, like you said, within those pillars. So I, it's it's frustrating being um, somebody that has looked at it in schooling and was already skeptical of it, mm-hmm. um, but then seeing it work in other countries and wondering why it can't work for us here and help that east side population here. I guess I just, uh, I get frustrated with that. Horrigan yeah. <laughs> and I are on the, on the same page. But hey, it's a political thing. Well, that's what it comes down to is everything being political. And I think that's where um, people like you and I, you just handle it inward uh, instead of expressing it outward because you're an adult and I'm still a child where I can't keep it in very well. So, you know, I think I'm hopeful that uh, these things that we're trying as a community to set up to prevent more um, more and more getting worse in the downtown east side. I'm hoping that we actually start implementing those changes. Like you said, it's always political and it's always a funding issue. But mm-hmm. we're able to seem to find all this funding all of a sudden for all this PPE and all this other stuff. So, and now all of a sudden we're able to find money for veterans that we've been asking for for the past ten years. So, you never know. I guess it depends on government. But I what what I do know is at least the funding's being found. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that'll get addressed because the east side is really becoming dangerous. Yes.
1: I agree, especially uh, all the tenting right now at Strathcona Park. It's yeah. a shame to see that park like that.
0: It's sad. It's, I, I can imagine you seeing it, you know, working as hard as you did to get into the, this uh, community, to protect it, to help it grow, to help it thrive, and then to see it go that way. That must weigh heavy on you, though, a little.
1: Uh, it's where I, bro- where I grew up, so it, it's hard to watch. Yeah, it is. It's we, where I played ball. It's, you know, it's it's your...
0: It's your memory lane?
1: Communi- yeah, your community park.
0: Yeah, that's... I never... I didn't grow up in a city, so I never uh, I never had that. Um, I can't say that I have that kind of memory lane, but I know I did have, like, a house fire, and a couple times, actually. Fucking <sighs> parents. I don't... <laughs> Tim and Kath, I tell you. Um, but I do remember, like, having to watch things be rebuilt, and you see when when something just goes downhill like you see the crash of something mm-hmm. the burn of something that loss that you, you you get that sadness no matter what you can rebuild it you know that park could get better but you still know there's a part of you that like bad things are happening there and that's yeah. hard to see um we're having that issue down at uh, the park near where i live right now um down at peace peace park peace portal park oh yes you hear did you hear about that at all
1: the uh american canadians going down there or yeah what the, part are you talking about yeah that's
0: the exact well <laughs> that's the big part i'm talking about i live uh fortunately i'm not going like, to give my address but i live in that that community that is attached to that park um how
1: close are you maybe i can park there
0: can you i would literally <laughs> kill for you to go park there because the rcmp that sit there and just hang out uh, and look at their computers um they're doing the best they can but the problem is um i literally live that many streets from it And they they try to park in our cul-de-sac and they, I just want to, they go, you know, can I just park here? I just, I haven't seen my child in like six years. That's not my fucking problem. Why didn't you think about that four years ago? Beat it. Because what happens is they go down there, they bring all of this stuff, they cross the ditch to the no man's land. They hang out in tents, which aren't allowed. There's been an increase apparently in trafficking. There's been an increase, um with finding things that people shouldn't be bringing across. This is just from me talking to the RCMP officers when I go for my nightly walk. Um, And I stop, and I'm like, hey, guys, how's it going? Because every single night, the lights are going now. Every single day, we have got a runner coming across now. Wow. Oh, it's bad! It's bad because you see Air One start flying over. Now you've got the RCMP blocking off the cul de sac. Nobody leave their house. Like we have runners that come through. We have things being trafficked, and we have people parking literally on every piece of property. It is so busy. I'm such an old lady complaining about this right now, but I complain because I got a four year old man. I don't want skeevy drug like disasters going in and out of my country fucking come in like everybody else. I'm sorry, but I don't want that when it's on the street that I ride my bikes with my kids on and you're ripping up and down. But you can come across, hang out all day there or hang out in a tent, not be disturbed, walk back, not have to quarantine and go live your life. But if I want to cross the border for business, I have to quarantine for 14 days, even if it's for a minute. But let's let's shut B.C. down again, Dr. Bonnie Henry. Yeah, seems like a fucking smart decision, doesn't it? I have no issue saying that. Do you know how many times I've sent videos to the news because I'm a 90-year-old woman? <laughs> I, it's, 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 it's bad, and I, I complain about it because um, the hypocrisy of shutting down a province and killing businesses even more when British Columbia is predominantly independently owned, where these people are struggling not only with mental health, but they're struggling with their rent, they're struggling to pay things, it's paycheck to paycheck, and then you want to shut it down because our numbers spike by like 50, but you'll allow us to cross the border, hang it with other countries, and then come back, but they don't have ramifications, but people like me do, not having it, not putting up with it, and I think it's unacceptable, and I think it's not being called out enough, and so that's why I'm totally comfortable saying this
1: beyond fucking ridiculous, so. um, I think it's uh a, there's a there's some sort of a treaty or something that allows for that yeah property it's like a
0: yeah so there is but i've been there yeah you know what i'm talking about right you so i literally live right there Jeannie. and um here's the thing though that treaty's fine but at the beginning of covid they closed that park so that could not happen so why can't you keep the park closed now
1: that that small one was closed. I don't yes, think ma'am. That one was close. You
0: know why I know it was for a fact, for a hundred percent fact? My nanny was supposed to get married at that park that week. Oh. And it all got cancelled and her whole life came crushing down. Sorry Joe, I love you. I know you got married anyway. But, no, she went down. No, she didn't get married there. They end up, she ended up going down. She did it all right. She came back. She quarantined for four days, because I know, because I didn't have a nanny for three weeks, and it was real hard with a four-year-old. So, no, seriously. So that's why I I got my facts. I got this shit tight. So someone's like, it was never clouds. It was, for two weeks. Um, For two full weeks, the U.S. agreed to close it, because it is that, like, no man's land where Mm -hmm. you're allowed to cross that little ditch and Mm -hmm. go, huh, over it. Um, And so they did close it and it was awesome because everything went back to normal um it's gotten so bad that our community residents have become angry and started writing in chalk on the road put a fucking masks on like go quarantine like people are like straight up hazing the people that go down there because we've got people from all across canada coming You've got Alberta plates, you've got Ontario plates, you've got New Brunswick plates, you've got Nova Scotia plates. Because it's the only place you can cross the border without having to quarantine and go visit and just come right back.
1: In all of Canada.
0: As far as I'm aware, wow. I haven't seen anything else. Was not aware of that. Yeah, it's super awesome in my backyard. I fucking love it. <laughs> Jeannie, I'm telling you, it's just driving me up the wall, man. Because as somebody who struggles with PTSD, uh, I feel it makes me feel unsafe. be honest, it makes me feel super unsafe. It makes me feel vulnerable. Um, I have a four-year-old, and my biggest nightmare is him being taken from me. And uh, that comes from nothing else other than what I've seen overseas. And so I'm very aware that, you know, that's, you know, I'm a good parent. I keep my eyes on my kid. I do the best I possibly can as a parent. When you have people wandering in and out of your community that you don't know, you've never seen before, that are in and out all the time now, and now there's a lot of cop cars, and now there's a lot of sirens and all of this. This is not where I wanted to raise my four-year-old. This Mm -hmm. doesn't feel safe to me. And when I don't feel safe, I vibrate that not safe feeling Um, and that anxiousness. And that's sad to me because I should be able to feel safe in my own home. And right now I don't. And so that's why I get so upset about this stupid park situation. Yes, it's just a park. And yes, it's just people hanging out. I actually don't care about the COVID aspect of it. I have a big issue with the sign that is literally the size of like a Mac computer that says no tents and 50 fucking tents. I have an issue with the hypocrisy of saying I have to close my business and so do my retailers. But these people can go hang out and do whatever they want. My business has to almost close because of everything that's happened because of your choices. I've lost friends to suicide over this time. People lose their homes, their livelihoods, their mental health goes to shit. And that's allowed. So... I take big issue and not just like, they get to go and do whatever they want, and I don't.
1: Not at all. It's the opposite. What, do you, think, what do you think they're doing in those tents, uh, Kelsey?
0: Well, the RCMP officers seem to tell me some shit that I'm not allowed to repeat, because <laughs> it's not sexual. It's sketchy as hell. Weapons, drugs. You're a cop. You know what's happening. People don't just... people. Just, like, the, I read too many books... I, I educate myself on trafficking things too often I'm too aware whether or not that makes me paranoid or not I'm also not stupid and I'm also not really okay with the idea of an RCMP officer sitting on one side and I have it on film and I, and I, I filmed it because I was sending it to a friend of mine named Sandy and I said can I come, can we come move can we come move can we can move into your house? Because this is getting ridiculous, right? Just as a joke, and um, it just happened to be an officer was standing there, and um, a woman, and man were coming across the ditch, and they had a massive cart, like uh, you know, like a trolley for camping and all that shit, packed with stuff, packed, hmm. genie. And uh, where you going? Where you, where you live? You know, this is fucking. Where do you live? And uh, they go, oh, I just slipped down the street and just visiting a friend. And, uh, what are you bringing back? And he goes, All right, you're good. Didn't even fucking touch the stuff, Genie. There, there was this high. I'm, I don't even know what, however many feet that is, a, a, a piled of shit with backpacks and other stuff. It's like, can we not just pretend like we care? Can we not just pretend like we're fucking trying? because I did ask them once they cross that ditch can you go through their stuff oh yeah but then what they do is the people who have shady shit they see us down here and then they try to cross up there mm-hmm. well once they cross that ditch we can't touch them no matter what they're doing cuz I have no probable cause to look in their stuff so these people aren't stupid and it's it, it really bothers me for the safety aspect of it it's just a hypocrisy I just I I'm done with it so that, that that park needs to close, or I'm just going to start setting off fire bombs and crackers. And I'm just going to start, fucking grenade! It won't be grenades, it'll be those, like, cherry bombs. What are those little, um, what are those things called? Uh, cherry
1: bombs. Cherry are, bombs. They, are they cherry bombs? Yeah. Okay,
0: so I wasn't wrong. But I'm just going to start hocking them into tents. I'm hawking them into tents! I'm sick of this shit! I want my kid to be able to ride his bike on the road and not have to worry that he's going to get hit by somebody that's ripping down there at, like, 120. It's just, it's fucked right up, Jeannie. I get upset about it, okay? I can tell. I'm sorry. It's intense, man. And it, and it's, and it affects people's lives. And um, that's what I want to get into next, is like how, you know, PTSD and all of that really affects people's lives. And it's a freaking perfect segue to talk about how you do insanely incredible work with those that struggle with PTSD. Can you tell me about what you do in your in your spare time now that you're retired?
1: Hmm. Well, I've always loved to travel. Unfortunately, with COVID, that doesn't happen. I mean, you can travel to America, technically. Yeah, no. I don't want to spend two weeks (laughs) quarantining. You don't need to! Just go through the ditch! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, a lot of housework. Mm -hmm. I just discovered pickleball. I mean, (laughs) don't laugh. Don't laugh. I know. It's too late. I laughed. uh, I'm sorry. I discovered pickleball and... Do you love it? I do like it. It's quite different. Can you? What, what the hell's pickleball, Jenny? <laughs> um, it's almost like tennis, but in a court that's half the size of a tennis. So sport. squash. Kinda, of, but not that fast. It's with a <laughs> wiffle ball. Remember in school oh, like a those, wiffle ball, like a wiffle was yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, but the racket. I remembered when um uh, when I first went to had my first kind of lessened or, or saw my first um, pickleball racket. Yeah. First thing I thought was, like, where are the holes? Because it's a solid piece. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, it's like a, a ping-pong racket almost, yeah. like a big ping-pong racket. So, yeah. You're going to pickleball. But, yeah, I've been maybe once a week. Not, not a lot, but it's to keep active, right? Yeah. I mean, because the gyms are closed. I used to go to the gym. I did a lot of dragon boating, but yeah. even that is closed, so... Mm-hmm. Right. So when I first when I first retired, it was like a lot of dragon boating. It was a lot of, um, you know, going to the gym. It was, and you know what? The nice part was that I get up whenever I wanted. Yeah. There's a lot of get up, have
0: breakfast, oh. read the
1: paper and then decide what I wanted to do. Go shopping. Oh, I Meet hate a you friend a little bit. for coffee, oh. for lunch, you know, watch TV, whatever. Oh. And then go dragon boating, do some volunteer work and then uh, then COVID hit and then it's like okay now I'm being mas- mainly more at home yeah still doing a lot of volunteer work with mm-hmm. uh, with Honor House and all that but um go for runs and like I said started pickleball <laughs> pickleballing at Honor House <laughs> what so tell me what do you do for Honor House so I'm on the board of directors at Honor House mm-hmm. I've been there for I think it's like five six years now mm-hmm. and uh yeah tell Just me about Honor House Honor House, the best way I've always described it is that Honor House is like a Ronald McDonald house for first responders.
0: I said that with Al Genova, and he gave me so much shit, Jeannie. Why? He's like, that's like the worst way you could just, dis- like, that's like the most simplistic way. That and is I said, simplistic. I know. I said, but I, that's when I, ex- okay, if I'm, ta- oh my God, I'm so happy you said this right now. Because Coleman, you were here. And I, were you here for Al? Josh was here. Josh was here. And, and Josh laughed because I was like, this is how I just, des- I describe it when I'm talking to like Americans or people who don't know what Honor House is. It's like Ronald McDonald for first responders. Jesus, Jeannie. Yes. Thank you. Because
1: everyone can understand that. Thank you. Because right? everyone knows what Ronald McDonald House is and that's the best way of describing it. Home away from home for our vets, yep. first
0: responders, yep. while they're getting treatment for their families. Yes, exactly.
1: For them or their families, right. in in the metropolitan Vancouver area.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And you've and what made you jump on the board there? Were you asked? Was it a volunteer? You just wanted to?
1: I was asked by uh, Melissa de Genova. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, when she first asked me, I you know I was like, oh, what is this? And I was still working at the time, and and uh, I really didn't have any time at that point. And then after, um, I think she asked me again, maybe about a, a couple years after that, and I said, sure. And mm-hmm. I was still working, but then my job wasn't as, um, I guess, stressful at the time. Yeah. And so I joined and uh, kind of thought, this is a really good deal for people who need to come to yeah. Vancouver for, for um, any medical assistance and their immediate family as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think it's a need you know, for all of our brothers and sisters who are in yeah. B.C., it's probably not needed for us who live in the Lower Mainland, but definitely for those who don't. But even then, um, for those of us who live in the Lower Mainland, if something tragic happens... It's an option. Yeah. Our, our family and friends can stay there. Yeah, you know? and it's that's a beautiful happened, thing. that's happened uh, several times now when there's been a tragedy involving mm-hmm. one of our officers. So I, I think it's... it's a fantastic um, place for our military and our first responders, our vets. You can be retired as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was just something that I thought I wanted to stay on with even when I retired because it kind of keeps me connected and yeah. that I can do something worthwhile as mm-hmm. well for, for the community that has, you know, basically they've given me like policing has given me a lot. I yeah. always tell people that, you know, I grew up in the Vancouver Police Department and it's given me a lot and it's kind of like my chance to give back.
0: And I think you were always giving back. I think you just never looked at it in that sense, but
1: I think you were always giving back. Uh, okay, so here's a, here's a kind of a funny uh, a thing. There's um, when I first got into recruiting as as a detective. Yeah, I remembered uh, one of the things we would go through is the application process. So it's been many years. It's, you know, mm-hmm. I was on the department maybe about um, I don't know twelve years before I got into re- recruiting. And I was looking at at the uh, paperwork, the application, and one of the questions was, like, you know, why do you want to become a police officer? Yeah. And so I was reading all these applications, and everyone was saying, oh, you know, to give back, to save the world, whatever they wanted to say. But it was the same thing, right? To save save the the community, to do this, this, and all, to give back to the community. And I remember thinking, oh, I wonder what I wrote. Right? You don't remember what you wrote? No, because then it was, like, remember... um, it was six years before I got on before um, when I first wrote it. Yeah. And then now it's like another twelve years. So it's probably at least eighteen years since I first wrote the exam, and oh, I wow. can't remember what I wrote, right? Oh no. So oh, no. so anyways, I was able to get into my um, uh, into archives and, and get my application, and I, I looked at it and I go, oh, wow. So I never wrote that I wanted to save the world or or anything. What did you write? That I saw. Um, and a ad that said, <laughs> like what I told you. <laughs> you actually put that on your application? Yes, I did. And uh, you're like, yeah, this will real silly. You know what? Hey, I paid attention, called the number, wrote it down, followed the uh, instruction well. I, because I was thinking, I, I don't, I wouldn't have lied to say that I wanted to save the world. You're right? like, I don't want to save the world. I would like a good job. Well, I probably wasn't even thinking about saving the world at the time a- or, or well. giving back to the community. All I was thinking about was that, yeah, it's like, every day is different. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like infantry, again. It's like, you love being outside, you love camping, yeah. you love infantry. Every day is
0: different. Every, every day, day is different. It me. sucks just in a different way. <laughs> yeah. can be cold, wet, and tired just in a different way every day. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. I... I'm so grateful that I got to meet you in the way that I did. You and I met uh, through Honor House when I got the opportunity to uh, work with Honor House on a bracelet to help uh, with donations. And it really was my uh, first real introduction into working with uh, a true charity that was genuinely doing the hard work and spending 99.9% of its dollars at its programs and, and what it does and how it how it functions. And I immediately felt welcomed in with open arms and never have had that since Um, I had gotten out of the military. That was my first experience with that. And, uh, you know, Craig was my first, my first uh, face to put to honor house. And it was nothing but um, a relief almost to know that there's, there's actually such a need for vets that this community had to be created. And it felt at that time for a moment like I wasn't alone and that gave me that hope to want to be able to uh, always push forward and strive to help Honor House in every way I could because it was the first sense like I said of safety almost in in a community and in a charity aspect and then when I got the opportunity to go on the board of Honor House it was incredible because I got to see now the other side of it and it's a double edged sword seeing both sides being somebody who um, is what that Place was created for when that person is going through something traumatic and then being on the other side of it and seeing um, how it actually thrives and flourishes and where the money goes and how it works and it gave me even more hope after seeing you know, seeing the books and seeing what we're doing was, mm-hmm. I always say we because even though I'm not on the board anymore um, due to time is I just, I I feel a sense of responsibility even if I'm not on the board. So I always say mm-hmm. whatever we are doing because I'm like always involved in some way, shape or form with Honor House and I, and I love that. And, I can totally see why you continue to do that after you retired and you've, you've put your time and, and, and being honest, you put a lot of time in Honor House. You don't just do, you know, the board is very heavily involved in, in the house, in the ranch, in the expansion plans down the road, <laughs> you guys are, are thinking about it in the, the best way possible about the true needs, not what you guys think people need, but you actually find out what the true needs are. And I think that's what separates you between other charities and, and, um, Honor House. Um, and having you on the board, I think, is instrumental in keeping that pointed in the right direction. Um, I've I've always wanted to sit and chat with you about your life, and I feel like I've learned even more now than I ever thought I could. Uh, you have a story of inspiration and heartbreak, and it's one that isn't told often enough because you've been able to overcome such diversity on a level that you don't even realize and um, isn't being isn't being shown enough. Uh, I'm just really proud to know you. I'm really proud to have been on the board with you. And I'm proud to work with you. And I'm grateful for this opportunity to have gotten the chance to talk about your story and what you've done for not only Vancouver, but for women in policing and Asian women in policing and just breaking those barriers (laughs) down.
1: I'm going to have to watch that show. You're going to have to watch
0: it because you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to laugh so hard after that now. my god. Jeannie, it's been nothing but a pleasure. Is there anything else that I missed that you would love to chat about?
1: Nope, uh, other than that um, we now have Honor Ranch. You <laughs> yes, talked you about Honor House, yes. which is in New Westminster that services the Metro Vancouver area. And um, a couple of years ago, we were fortunate enough to um, have someone yes. um, kind of help us secure Honor Ranch. So Honor Ranch is located in Ashcroft. Which is the center of British Columbia around there, and uh, it's going to be servicing people again—first responders and the military and their mm-hmm. families who suffer from PTSD. Yeah, it's in a beautiful setting, yes, and it is. again, we're very fortunate to have. Um, I'm not going to mention his name just in case.
0: Oh, Al already did. Like, Al can't know. <laughs> when we had Al de Genova,
1: uh, I try not to mention people's names because you know I don't what? know how they feel about you it. You don't have
0: to mention it, but w- this person did something incredible. It's 140 acres. 120. 20 is 120 now. So we have 120 acres. you got 10 cabins. Yep, and one main lodge. And one main lodge, which is beautiful. You guys got everything donated. The Each one has its own bathroom. The, these cabins overlook... I got the chance to go there, and the view made... I just wanted to... I asked Al. I said, so do I just get to hang out here? Is that? <laughs> is do, Am I just allowed to be like the house cat? Because I will. It's so calming there. Mm-hmm. And he was telling us about the equine therapy program he's going to be working with soon mm-hmm. um, up there, which is really incredible. So I'm... I, he goes, Kelsey, we're going to have these across the country one day. So he yeah. said, you're damn right you are. Because there's beyond a need, but there's... The reason you'll do it is because you guys haven't ever failed at anything that Honor House has tried to do. And I think I think that's why you guys are going to make a difference, not only in BC anymore, but you guys are going to really start making a difference cross-country, and I'm
1: nothing but proud to be a part of that. Yeah, and we are still a non-profit charity. Oh, yeah, you are. And we, we do a lot of, of fundraising. And, and you're right when you're talking about the board being involved, like the board is heavily involved. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think uh, make a difference with our board is that well, I'd say half of us at first responders. We have paramedics, we have fire, we mm-hmm. have police, and we have you know Al, who is the uh, honorary lieutenant colonel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've covered everything pretty much there, and so we kind of know what's needed yep. as, for for people that suffer from PTSD or or the needs that we uh, for a place like Honor House. And so we rely a lot on on. Um, i guess a, a lot on people giving us funds donations whether it's in kind or not and so we've been doing things i mean selling baseball hats we've been mm. selling the bracelets yep. of course yep, like yep, I'm, the Honor look, House bracelets. I'm wearing my special edition one. Oh yes
0: you are that's yes, my you favorite
1: are. it's got a number yeah i got the numbered one of
0: course yeah of course you did
1: and there's a few that that uh, have numbers. Like yes. Michael Buble has. Michael Buble has one. Him and his wife have one. Yeah, and his mom where is They I think they got one, two, and three. And they got one and two. Those were my numbers. Apparently, I'm still kind of sore over that. But 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 you should that's be another. Sore that. That's listen, another Michael, story.
0: Listen, Michael. We'll have that conversation <laughs> at another time. I know who your
1: manager is, Michael. Just yeah. Know that. Just know that. But uh, but you know what? And um, you know one of the things with um, the way the house operates is that we only have Craig as a yeah. full time staff and and an accountant, which we need. Yeah. But everything is relying on volunteers and on donations. And our volunteers are fantastic. Like yes. they do the housekeeping, they do the cleaning, they do the laundry, the dusting. Literally everything. Yeah, they're like your nanny. Yeah. Basically. No, they right?
0: my, well, my nanny never did that, though. Oh, no, no, no. Well no. then they're better than my nanny. But oh, no, well, my, yeah, well, my <laughs> nanny, the rule was she no, she didn't do any of that. All she has to do is help me raise my child with my husband. <laughs> so on Tuesdays and Thursdays for half a day, she like She just sits with him. She doesn't cook. She doesn't... Well, she cooks food for him when he needs to eat. But she doesn't clean. She doesn't do laundry. No, I do all of that. She just helps manage our tiny human. So that we... Because my husband and I have... He's got a couple companies. So we're very fortunate. We are very fortunate. We have my mother-in-law. And we have her Jordan. But she's done as of this week. So... Well, we're, we're down to Gigi. Gigi knows what's up. She knows there's a small panic attack about to happen this weekend, so she, she's aware. Yeah. She's aware.
1: So but we're yeah. lucky. We're lucky to have all these people that yes. that are interested in us. And and like I said, and um, you know, I'm going to just put in a plug for On House it, and On Ranch, and that uh, we are selling tukes. Yep. you know, to to raise money. And um, just the other day. Which I want to give you is that we now have challenge coins. Oh, so you can you can talk deal. about what challenge coins is oh, being from the military. But we you. this is honor house on one side, and this is honor ranch, ranch on the other. So I love it. Thank you, my dear. That's so special to me. I don't. I don't think you guys
0: know challenge coins are a big deal in the military. Um, they're they're a signif- uh, They're very significant uh, in respect and honor and and there's a way to give them, um, to each other. And, uh, it's, it's a handshake and the palm and it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's a way to solidify and just acknowledgement. Um, and it's a big deal. And I can tell you, you know, Honor House, they don't just have, like I said, the, the Brass and Unity bracelet we do where their donations go to them. Um, Honor House and Honor Ranch, I, I, I can say it. I mean, I've seen the books, all the money goes right to the, right to the foundations and, and, literally every penny and they have one paid employee and he's severely underpaid and we always tell him that so i mean when i say your donations go they go they have an incredible membership program you can jump on board um they've also got their toques they've got their bracelets uh they've got their challenge coins and you can literally get everything on HonorHouse.ca, if i'm not wrong and uh, yes. we run events. We've got an incredible box going out across the country where you just donate, grab a bracelet, and all of the 100% of the proceeds go to Honor House. Um, we even got a rowathon coming up this weekend, a virtual rowathon where we're rowing for 24 hours with the firefighting unit. Um, they are an American firefighting unit, but they are allowed to come up and do this. So we're very fortunate. We're going to be rowing with them, and we'll have a GoFundMe set, and it'll go right to Honor House, 100% of it. And um, we're going to continue to always support and, and drive Honor House and Honor Ranch and hopefully a national, you know, nationwide program, because uh, you guys are doing it right. Uh, you're doing it well, and you should be seen as one of the leaders in this, uh, in this charity industry. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really happy to have you on, Jeannie.
1: Thanks for having me. And uh,
0: that'll be it here with Jeannie <laughs> and
1: Brass and Unity. Woo-hoo.
0: So, on this episode of this week's podcast, I'm going to talk about Honor House briefly. It's in British Columbia, Canada, and it is a home away from home and a place of recovery for those in the Canadian Armed Forces, emergency service personnel, and vets and their families. If you are looking for somewhere to donate or place any of your money, Honor House is the perfect place for it. Do yourself a favor, take a look at honorhouse.ca, and we'll see you all at the next episode.